You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. It says in James 5, 3 that we live in the last days. Joel's prophecy says the Spirit would be poured out in the last days, and so it was. Joel's prophecy says, and Peter concludes in his sermon with this fact, that Jesus poured forth the Spirit, verse 33 of the sermon. Joel's prophecy says that it will be for all the Jews. And Peter is kind of making that offer at the end of his sermon. If you look all the way down at verse 39, he says, The promise of the Holy Spirit is for all of you Jews, even those here and those scattered far off. God's Word is always true, and what He says will happen, will happen. In today's message, Pastor Tom is taking a close look at Peter's message on the day of Pentecost that launched the birth of the church. In it, Peter showed the people the words of the prophet Joel and how they were being fulfilled right there in front of them. The Spirit of God was being poured out on the people of God. Don't you love how God's promises are promises you can trust? Come along and let's hear about God's faithfulness. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of 1 Kings chapter 22 as he continues his message, Logic on Fire, the church's first sermon. The preaching was based on the prophesying. The first, the prophecy came, the dream or the vision, and he had the truth, and then he preached, you see, and it became, it became spoken, the spoken word of God. One of the best descriptions of what prophecy is or what it does or what it's not is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. It explains it so well. Peter writes, he says, Know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. You hear that all the time, don't you? You hear people say, that's just your interpretation. And Peter says, oh no, oh no. No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. People all the time say, well, the Bible's just a human book. No, it's not. No prophecy of Scripture was ever made by an act of human will. Well, then what happened? What happened? What is prophecy? And then he says this, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. It was the Holy Spirit moving them to speak. They couldn't help but do it. Prophecy, by its nature, as speech from God, does not and cannot make mistakes. There's some people today saying there's this thing called fallible prophecy. Yes, that's called false prophecy. When preachers preach, they can make mistakes. When a man was gripped by the Holy Spirit and he prophesied, that was infallible. And prophecy proves it is infallible through prediction. That's right. All the prophets of God would predict the future and they would, they would stake their claim as a true prophet of God. You wait and see if what I tell you doesn't come to true, then I'm not of God. In fact, that very exchange happens to Micaiah, the prophet, in 1 Kings 22. Remember, Ahab wants to go into battle and, and um, Jehoshaphat is with him and Jehoshaphat listens to all the prophets and he, he doesn't trust these prophets. He thinks they're false prophets. And he asks Ahab, don't you have any other prophet, a true prophet of the Lord? And Ahab says, he's the pouting king, you, you may remember. He says, well, there is this one prophet, but he never prophesies anything good about me. So I keep the guy locked up. It's like, all right, go get him. This other king wants to listen, brings him out. And then Micaiah sizes up the whole situation. And he says, oh, go in peace, go into battle, and everything will be fine with you. And then Ahab tries to act like he's really being righteous and godly. He says, see, I told you he's not going to speak right. And Micaiah then prophesies. And he says, I saw the, I saw the battle and basically Ahab's death and the scattering of Israel. 
And Ahab is upset. And one of the men comes up and slaps Micaiah on the face for being so dis- disrespectful to the king. And Micaiah tells the king, if you indeed return safely from the battle, then the Lord has not spoken by me. And you remember what Ahab did. He must have half believed it because he said, I'm going to dress up like I'm not the king. And the Jehoshaphat will act like he's Ahab. And then nothing happened to, to Jehoshaphat. He's safe, but some stray arrow, stray arrow, went and hit a chink in his armor and killed Ahab. Dogs licked up his blood as they did Jezebel's. God's predictions always come true. Or it's not true prophecy. Notice, by the way, down in the same sermon, down in verses 30 and 31, says something very interesting. I wonder if you paused when you read that. It said David was a prophet. Did you pick up on that? I thought David was a king. He was. I thought he was a shepherd. Yeah, that's right. But he was also a prophet. He wrote many of the Psalms, and that's prophecy, you see. And it says, because he was a prophet, notice how it's worded, because he was a prophet, he looked ahead and spoke and predicted about the Messiah's resurrection. The implication is, if you're a prophet, you predict. If you don't predict, you're not a prophet. Because you're a prophet, you predict. It's not just preaching. Prophecy is more than preaching. I'm not a prophet. Okay? In case you were wondering, by the way, where, where is this guy going with this? Does he think he's a prophet? No, I'm not a prophet. I'm not a bishop. I'm not an apostle. I'm certainly not the Pope in Rome. I'm a voice. Hopefully a good voice, but I'm a voice. And I preach from God's word. But this is the book that contains the prophecies. Do you see? All of the writing prophets of the Old Testament and all of the writing prophets of the New Testament, who are also called apostles, because apostles are prophets. Not all prophets were apostles, but all apostles were prophets. You didn't get that, did you? Many prophets there were, but they were not apostles. But Paul, Peter, all of them were prophets as well. And they spoke and they preached God's word. All of them had predictions. Every last one of the prophets had predictions. Moses predicted the future. Samuel predicted the future. You go through it. Elijah said it's not going to rain. They go through it. They predict again and again. In the New Testament, you run into Agabus, and Agabus says to Paul, this is what's going to happen to you when you go down to Jerusalem. And he predicts the future. John predicted the future. They predict the future, and it comes true. The Bible is a prophetic book. The Bible contains the prophecies of past generations, some that have been fulfilled, some that were fulfilled in the time of Christ, some are not yet fulfilled. And all of the teachings go along really with the prophecies and with the law and with the gospels. So when we say prophecy is primary, what we mean is that all good preaching, all preaching that ignites the work of God's Spirit must be based on biblical truth. It must explain the writings of the prophets. And that is why you see Peter quoting Joel. And that is why you see Peter quoting David. He is basing his powerful preaching on that day on the primacy of prophecy. There is no sermon from Peter without there first being scripture. Peter connects the prophecy of Joel to the Spirit's work on the day of Pentecost. Now, what did Peter mean by quoting Joel here? How was Joel's prophecy fulfilled on the day of Pentecost? Was all of Joel's prophecy fulfilled? Well, clearly the second part of the prophecy in verses 19 and 20, did not occur on the day of Pentecost. We have no record of that since then. 
Some, I think, have tried to take the darkness that covered the land for three hours, you remember, while Christ hung on the cross, and they take that and say, that's the fulfillment of what Joel is talking about. But three hours of darkness is a far cry from the sun being turned into darkness and the moon being turned into blood. You would have to water down the words of the prophecy to make that work here. Others point to the tongues of fire over the disciples' head, and they say that's equivalent to the fire that Joel's prophecy talks about. But again, that's a far cry from all of the blood and fire and smoke that Joel talks about. That's this giant sign in the sky for all people to see. There may have been, you know, lots of fire and smoke in California, but you don't find any smoke at all on, on the day of Pentecost. So that's not fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. We know that's off in the future. And when we go to the rest of Scripture, we know when that's going to take place. We know in Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 and 14, it makes the interpretation of Joel's prophecy perfectly clear. It's in the future. When? During the seven-year tribulation time that the middle of the book of Revelation describes. There it says in Revelation 6, and I looked, this is John, I looked... When he broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth, sound familiar, made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. Remember, stars refers to any light in the sky and probably refers to meteorites. And the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And then uh, down in verse 17 of Revelation 6, it says this, The great day of the wrath of the Lamb has come, and who is able to stand? This is the great day of the wrath of Jesus Christ. It's in the end times. In fact, Jesus himself in the Gospels, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 21, made it clear that these are the signs that will happen right before the coming of the day of the Lord and the establishment of his kingdom on earth. In Luke 21, he predicted, because Jesus was also a prophet, the prophet that Moses spoke of, he predicted, and there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and upon the earth, dismay among nations, in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then, notice how he says it, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. These are all of the tremendous signs that will come about right before Jesus Christ comes back in full glory to set up and establish His kingdom on earth, which He earned. Even Peter hints at the timing of this or at the association of this with His second coming. Look at verse 20. In verse 20 there He says, It will happen before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. That great and glorious day where God has His way. We call it the day of the Lord. Why? Because God gets His way. And God does not come back mildly. Jesus does not come back as an innocent little baby. He comes back to bring judgment. And so the fulfillment of part of Joel's prophecy clearly awaits Christ's second coming in glory. But what is also interesting is that at the time of the second coming of Jesus, did you know that there will also be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit just as there was here in Acts chapter 2? And this outpouring of the Spirit will usher in the earthly kingdom of Christ. It will be an outpouring specifically stated to be upon the Jewish nation. Listen to the predictive words of the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 12, 10 and 11. 
He prophesied, and I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, so that they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. In that day there will be great mourning in Jerusalem. Zechariah in that prophecy goes on to show how the entire city of Jerusalem, the entire city would be in terrible mourning. They finally would realize, not just this large number on the day of Pentecost, but all of them would finally realize the Messiah already came and we killed him. And there would be a complete national repentance. There would be the reestablishment of the Davidic kingdom in Israel, and Christ himself would reign on earth over him. Again, this did not occur at Pentecost or since then. So why is it then that Peter said of the Spirit's coming on Pentecost in verse 16, this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel? This is that. People have actually studied that phrase. They found documents in the Qumran community in Israel that have that expression. This is that. And that expression is meant to equate Old Testament prophecy with current happenings. This is that, is a way of saying, yes, it was fulfilled. So Pentecost fulfilled, in some sense, Joel's prophecy. Joel's prophecy says it will be done in the last days. Well, guess what? Peter and John and the others were living in the last days. How do we know that? Because it says in 1 John 2, 18, that we are in the last days. It says in James 5, 3, that we live in the last days. Joel's prophecy says the Spirit would be poured out in the last days, and so it was. Joel's prophecy says, and Peter concludes in his sermon with this fact, that Jesus poured forth the Spirit, verse 33 of the sermon. Joel's prophecy says that it will be for all the Jews, and Peter is kind of making that offer at the end of his sermon. If you look all the way down at verse 39, he says, The promise of the Holy Spirit is for all of you Jews, even those here and those scattered far off. Joel's prophecy said that they would have visions and dreams, which are the two vehicles for feeding prophecy among the prophets. Prophets would get their messages from God. How? Well, they were not privy to the things that Moses saw on Mount Sinai. God said, I'll speak to Moses face to face, but to the other prophets, I'll give them dreams and visions. So these are the vehicles for him talking to the, to the Israelite prophets. And a vision would be during the day. They'd be awake, but they'd be transferred in their sight somewhere else. And a dream is at night. They'd be asleep, but God would speak powerfully to them also. And this flood of dreams and this flood of visions was ignited on the day of Pentecost to feed the arrival of all of the New Testament revelation that was to come. This was the time when the truths we read about in our New Testament were arriving in a flood and then they were being recorded in the writings of the New Testament. So Peter clearly thinks that Joel is being fulfilled to some degree. To get into Peter's mind, you'd have to go back to Acts chapter 1 and verse 3 to know what he's thinking. And you may remember this verse. The disciples were thinking that Jesus, he was raised from the dead and he was going to restore the national kingdom to Israel. They asked him, is it at this time that you're going to restore it? And he agreed that there was going to be a restoration of the kingdom. He only corrected their desire to know the timing. And he said, it's not for you to know the timings and the epics. And he went on to talk about how they would be witnesses for him when the Spirit clothed them with power from on high. 
So as far as Peter knew, he didn't know when the timing was going to come. He just knew he was supposed to get busy doing what he was told to do, and he's doing it. He is being a witness for Christ. He's clothed now with power from on high. Exactly what Jesus said would happen to him happened to him. And he's preaching. He's preaching about the kingdom too. As far as he knows, it could happen now. The Spirit of God has come on the day of Pentecost. Joel's prophecy In that prophecy, the Spirit's coming preceded the Messiah's coming in glory. As far as Peter was concerned, the kingdom might have come right at Pentecost or shortly afterwards. In fact, it's confirmed again when Peter gets to his second sermon in Acts chapter 3, 19 and 21. Again, he's only speaking to the Jewish people. And there he tells them, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away. Listen, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. What does that mean? He goes on, that he may send Jesus, the Messiah, appointed for you. He's telling the Jews it's appointed for you. And then he adds this, whom heaven must receive until, until the period of the restoration of all things. There's going to be a restoration of all things for you, your national Israel. Christ will be sent to you. And if you will repent and return, God will send him. When will Jesus come back? I got a great answer for you. When the nation of Israel repents and returns, that's when he's going to come back. You say we need to get busy with Jewish evangelism. That's a good idea. It's a good idea. There will be a restoration of the kingdom for the Jews, and Peter could envision that happening that day. In fact, in Acts 3, he's already seen 3,000 Jews come to Christ in Acts 2.41, and later he's going to see 5,000 more Jews in Jerusalem come to Christ in Acts 4.4. It says even many of the priests were coming to the faith according to Acts 6.7. He didn't know the timing. He didn't know 2,000 years of church history. He thought it could be in his lifetime. And so this is what Joel said. And he was excited about it. I think that's what Peter meant. Pentecost is a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy, and it would have been the full fulfillment of it if the Jews would have repented. But due to the Jews' unbelief, due to the stubbornness of their heart, the point is there now still is a fulfillment to come. At Christ's second coming, the Jews will repent in mass. That's exactly what Romans 11 says. I remember listening to a prominent all-millennial preacher go through Romans 11, and he conceded when he read that, that there's going to be a massive conversion of ethnic Jews in Israel in the end times. And I was like, good, that's good. You got it. God is not done with the nation of Israel. But then he said God was done with the nation of Israel. Sometimes your theology blocks you from seeing what the text says. This beautiful, fantastic truth that we hold in our hands, this prophetic book, is what all preaching should be based upon. Would you agree? Jesus said this is how it's supposed to be. He even said when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to guide you into all this truth. So you have no New Testament. And Jesus says in the the, um, upper room discourse, he told his disciples, these things I've spoken to you while remaining with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things. And he will bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. That's what the New Testament is. Bringing to remembrance to the apostles the things that Jesus taught and then teaching them everything else where he said, you you can't bear everything that I need to teach you now. 
So I'm going to send another teacher. He's the Holy Spirit and he will teach you. And that's what he did. He moved upon these men and women and they had dreams and they had visions and they prophesied and it was infallible and it was put down and scribed in a book and preserved and protected by the providence of God, translated into our language. And now we stick a preacher behind a pulpit like this and we say, don't give your own opinions and don't make it nice for people. Just preach the word of God. And that's what it's about. It is about the the privilege of hearing the Word of God. There's one last thing I want to say as we close. Look at the end of this introduction in verse 21. Because there's an important message here too. Verse 21. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is a universal appeal to everyone. Everyone, anyone who will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise. Did you see that? You call on the name of the Lord, he'll save you. Say, so why do I need to be saved? Because there's this thing called the wrath of God. The false churches say God is love and don't fill it out with, and he's also holy and he's also just and he's also angry at sin. The false churches just teach God is love. See, in good deception, there's always a measure of truth. First John does say God is love. God is incredibly forgiving and compassionate. His patience is far more than I can ever understand. He's been patient with me. He's caring, loving. His grace is amazing. But when we preach the love and fail to mention, by the way, he does not like the way you're living. And he has determined to destroy all sin. And if you attach yourself to sin, you're going to be destroyed along with it. Then you're preaching an incomplete message. And that incomplete message is deceptive. It's not the truth of the gospel. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But then it goes on to say, He who believes in the Son is not judged. He who does not believe in the Son is judged already. He's already under the condemnation of God. See, the assumption of the message of Jesus is everyone's going to hell. Everybody's under the judgment of God. You say you're a good person, God disagrees. You say you've lived rightly, God disagrees. God says you're a sinner, you're a rule breaker, your, your morals have not lived up to a holy God's standards. And so you're under the judgment of God. You're under the condemnation of God. That's why... It's wonderful to have the Christmas and Easter seasons to remind you, if you've never heard that, you have to call on the name of the Lord. You say, what do I need to say? You need to say, God, I agree with you that I'm a sinner. I agree with you that I don't deserve forgiveness. I agree with you I'm headed to hell. I agree. I am under your judgment. You should judge me. And then you say, but God, I'm calling on your name. You said you sent Jesus Christ and I want him to save me. I don't understand how it all works, but please save me and clean me up because I do realize I have a lot of sin. And he'll do that. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord. That means you. That means whatever exceptions you have running in your mind, that's the devil talking to you, not God. God said, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. With me, will be saved. 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 Delivered. No judgment. No condemnation for those now who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. Free from the guilt. Children of God. Ready to live everlasting life with God. Not because you were good. Because Christ went to the cross for you. And he was raised from the dead as Peter preached. He can turn a life from hell to heaven. And by the way, that's what good preaching does. It turns lives from hell 
to heaven. And that's why we should adore our God and we should support the preaching of our God's word. Amen. Thank you for a prophecy, Lord, that is in our scripture. Thank you that we can read it and understand it, that you didn't write it. So it would be a confusing and perplexing mystery. You expected us to read it and understand it and interpret it in its normal language. And because of that, we can know it's fulfilled and what was predicted came to pass. And then we can see the events of history matching what this book says history will become. Lord, we don't know how all of this will happen. We don't know if global warming is why the seas are going to rage or something else is going to happen. We don't know. We just know nobody can stop it. It's going to happen. We know that what is written in your book, reality around us turns into. And that is amazing, that only we have this kind of a book. And we thank you for preaching and how it changes our lives. We pray you would impart faith into anyone that doesn't have faith here today and help them just humbly to get past their pride, Lord, and say, Lord, save me. I want to know you and I want to be part of your everlasting kingdom. But we pray it trusting in your mighty power. Amen. God's predictions always come true. That's the essence of true prophecy. All good preaching must be based on spiritual truth and explain the writing of the prophets. Today we saw in Peter's sermon that the prophecy in Joel 2 was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, but not fully. Pastor Tom showed us that we will see the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy when Jesus comes again and we return with him to glory. If you enjoyed today's message on Discover Hope, we want to hear from you. Give us a call at 443-200-HOPE. That's 443-200-HOPE. We'd also like to ask you to prayerfully consider donating to this ministry to help us expand the reach of the gospel. You can give securely online at hopebible.org. Do you live in the area of Columbia, Maryland? If so, you're invited to become part of our Sunday morning gatherings here at Hope Bible Church. Join us for a morning of Bible study, worship, and fellowship. Find out more by visiting our website. Again, that's hopebible.org. When it came time for the first sermon of the new church to be preached, the topic could only be Jesus Christ. Next time, Pastor Tom is going to begin going through the body of Peter's sermon and remind us that the whole purpose of this sermon was to point people to Jesus Christ. It was designed to expose the sin of the people and cause them to turn and repent. We're going to turn our eyes to Jesus together. There's much more to learn from the book of Acts, so we hope you'll tune in next time. If you'd like to listen again to today's teaching or share it with friends and family, you'll find it online at hopebible.org. Thanks for joining us on Discover Hope.